Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We are ready to offer a highly ambitious trade deal, including zero tariffs and zero quotas. There is no need for a free trade agreement to involve accepting EU rules on competition policy, subsidies, social protection, the environment, or anything similar. I think there is a significant risk of what some people are calling No Deal 2.0. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Solik. Hello, and good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. Well, we have uh, lots to discuss today, Seb. Uh, not least the government's introduction of its new immigration system. Mm-hmm. And then we also have a fascinating conversation coming up for all of you Londoners. Uh, the Conservative candidate for mayor, Sean Bailey, is in our London radio studio. Yeah, the election in May, it's going to come really quickly, isn't it? I can just see it creeping up on us. It's already nearly fed. March. Uh, but anyway, let's talk about the immigration system. This has come through finally. We've heard rumblings of this for a long time and we're getting some substance now. This is um, what ministers say, the ends to the UK's reliance on cheap labour from Europe, instead giving priority to highly skilled professionals. To work here from the next uh, of January, migrants need to earn enough points based on things like qualifications and their salary. So here is Home Secretary Priti Patel. If they have an employer, it could be a construction firm, and they meet the skills threshold and the points threshold, then of course they can come to the United Kingdom to work. It is ridiculous to imply that we're just shutting down routes and people can't come into the UK. Okay, the Home Secretary, Shadow Home Secretary Diane Abbott, though, says that this is the wrong way to go about it. You measure success by an immigration policy which actually helps build the economy and build our GDP. And the government's own Migration Advisory Committee has said that this point system they're talking about won't necessarily increase our GDP. All right, well, for more on this, we're joined by David Merritt, our senior executive editor. David, talk to us about the firm's reliance on this cheap foreign labour. That must be pretty scary news for them today. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's going to be, a, this is a massive change, you know, make uh, no bones about it. I mean, for decades now, firms have been able to get any labour they want effectively from across the whole of the European Union. That is going to end under these proposals. It's really just going to treat European Union citizens as the same as the rest of the world. But that does mean, you know, we heard Pretty Patel saying that we're not shutting the well, yes, they are shutting the door to anyone below these thresholds. And they're pretty high, yeah. actually. You know, the salaries. You know, uh, my favourite story in this was an advert recently for a, a chef at Buckingham Palace offering about 20 grand or so. Now, that's not going to make it. So you can't even come and cook for the Queen <laughs> under these uh, proposals. So, you know, people who are working in kitchens, uh, catering staff, people in nursing homes. Um, you know, they're, uh, the, the apocryphal pl- uh, plumber, of course, if he's coming to be self-employed, won't be able to um, enter Britain under these proposals. So it is a big change. The government's saying, look, companies are going to have to invest in the people who are here already. Uh, we've had a big productivity problem in Britain in the economy for some time. Companies need to invest in improving productivity rather than cheap labour. That is the argument. But it's a big experiment and a big change. And bear in mind, this new rule will come into effect now in less than a year. So companies don't have a huge amount of time to prepare. No, absolutely. And it's had 
had a lot of kind of business organisations really shouting about this, quite concerned. £25,600 is actually a very high threshold when you look at the average income in Britain. And then this question, David, is it actually going to bring down immigration? Because, you know, one casts one's mind back uh, to the pledge by the Conservative uh, Party, you know, several years ago of trying to bring down immigration to the tens of thousands. And that was simply never deliverable. That's right. Theresa May tried multiple different strategies when she was Home Secretary. And then as Prime Minister, none of it worked, right? They never got it down to the tens of thousands, even leaving the European Union uh, throughout this whole years of, of, of uh, agony over that process hasn't brought down that number sufficiently um, either. So they're doing what they can to bring it down. You know, setting targets, this is always dangerous, though. Of course, uh, you know, immigration was never just about the European Union. It was always about a global uh, movement. Um, and of course, on the flip side of this, you know, what is the wisdom of limiting that number? We know that uh, the government argued that uh, Brexit was a vote to control our borders and to and to bring that number down. But of course, you know, you know, going back to what Diane Abbott just said, uh, the effect on GDP. Um, we had the employment numbers out this week. Uh, we're nearly at full employment in Britain, only about three and three and a half percent or so. That means that there really is a shortage of workers out there. So how are we going to bring that number down without starting to impact companies' ability to turn a profit? Although I do have to add that obviously from the economics perspective, productivity is not necessarily about people. It's about better machinery, AI, all of that kind of future tech, isn't it? So we'll see whether that's what companies decide to invest yes, in. Yes, absolutely. You know, but that's going to take time, isn't yes. it, turning that number around. The productivity problem is a very long term one that we've mm. had in this country. We've only got now 10 months. That's not enough time for companies to invest in automation systems to build the products that they do or machines somehow to be developed to pick the fruit in the fields. It's not going to happen by January next year. That is mm. the problem. That's what companies are saying this morning as well when they look at this proposal, that it's too fast and too soon. So we'll have to wait and see. Interesting. One of the changes from Theresa May's plan was this introduction of concessions perhaps for people from a STEM background or looking at science fields and that sort of thing. So in Perhaps that sort of gives us an idea of some of the priorities of this new government. Anyway, David, thank you very much. That was David Merritt, our senior executive editor. OK, so on the 7th of May, all of you Londoners will be voting in the mayoral election. Sadiq Khan, of course, who has held City Hall since 2016, faces a host of challenges from the former Tory minister Rory Stewart to the Liberal Democrat uh, Siobhan Benita and the Greens' Sean Berry, plus the host of independents and candidates from smaller parties. And also our next guest, Conservative Sean Bailey, who joins us now. Very good morning. Thank you so much for coming good in. Good morning to you. Good morning. So um, you've been a member of the London Assembly. You've also been a youth worker in the past and you have served as David Cameron's special advisor on youth and crime between 2010 and 2013 just to give people a little hint of your CV and your background. You've also been Sean very critical of the current Mayor Sadiq Khan. What in your view has he done wrong? He's taken on City Hall and not delivered for Londoners. He's he's used it as his platform to become the leader of the Labour Party. We all know that's his goal and, you know, it's great to have ambitions, but he can't do that at the expense of 9 million people. If you look at his approach to crime, we've had record levels of crime almost from immediately he took over. He's made very little attempt to deal with that. If you look at how he's treated business, he's talked about being the most pro-business mayor that we've ever had, but again, he's, he's, he's advocating for rent controls, which shows you where he is. He's Corbyn's candidate. He signed Corbyn's paper. He doesn't come from my background that will support business but most of all beyond anything he has not taken responsibility his response to everything is it somebody else's fault and I see the mayor of London as a mm. job where you get things done you make the best with what you have 
Okay, how surely um, one has to counter a he's not in the leadership race for Labour and he has done a lot of things in terms of knife crime. To be fair, it was under the cuts of the former Conservative Party that knife crime really began to soar Simply because not we true. Cut, when, when, cut when, when, Boris, when Boris had to deal with his, his cuts, he did it in mm. an environment where crime was going down. And let's be clear, there were cuts. Yeah, and, huge and cuts. There, there were cuts, but Boris made that work. If you look at the rest of the country, if you look at Burghley, for instance, in London, it's going up in the rest of the country it's going down okay it's about how you deal with those things yeah you've talked about though increasing police numbers on the, on the streets of london obviously that's what mm. londoners would like to see you've talked about that being possible by just cutting waste at city hall in order to fund for example 500 police officers waste is never going to make up that gap it, it is, it's not about making up the entire gap but let's be clear we have 83 million pounds swilling about in city hall that we could have used for policing he could have done that the moment he became mayor instead what he did was take 38 million pounds out of the police salary budget which left left us always playing so catch up with police numbers unimpressed by 272 police trained to tackle weapons enabled crime 45 million pounds invested in youth londoners uh, fund all of this to tackle knife which, crime no? all of which could have been done to a much greater degree much earlier on that's the point but Sean, if you look at the stats, I'm looking at ONS statistics here. Knife crime, okay, it's on the rise in London, about 2%, but the national percentage is at 7 So we are, relative to the country, it, it, doing better. No, that's not true. We are behind the country in burglary, in knife crime and, and homicides, for instance. In London, we've had a record high. Look, don't, get me straight. I'm not trying to say that it, it, you know, that we're all going to be murdered the minute we step out of the house. But, but, but <laughs> I hope knife not. Crime, yeah, <laughs> let's hope not. Hey. But knife crime and the type of crime we have in London is a culture. And if you don't get underneath that culture, I've been saying this for many years, long before I got in politics, it will run away with us. Mm. This is about breaking a trend in order to keep London safe. He had an opportunity to do that. And all I'm suggesting is he never put his, his shoulder to the wheel in a manner he could have done. OK, um, let's also talk about some other issues then, just away from crime. Let's talk a little bit about transport. That's another massive brief that you would have if you are voted in by Londoners in May. Um, in terms of transport, uh, Sadiq Khan can uh, say, for example, that he's frozen tube fares for the last three years. I believe that you want to increase them. He's also uh, brought in this one hour hopper uh, bus fare, which means that you can use one tickets take multiple journeys um, and he's also trying to cut pollution as to do with transportation what is your offering from your manifesto in terms Let, of let's transport? separate this out firstly i don't mm. want to raise um fares it's a it's a unnecessary um, uh, unavoidable fact of where where we are let's be clear he he did this 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 fares freeze but of course it cost us massive revenue so we've lost 18 development projects across london anything from new trains for the central line the extension of the of the um, metropolitan line. These things have a massive knock-on for housing, for etc. And of course, that's before I addressed the massive haulics that Crossrail 2 has become. So while he did this this fear freeze, as he calls it, it cost jobs at TfL, and they're the very persons who were meant to be looking after Crossrail. Lo and behold, Crossrail goes wrong, and now we're two plus billion pounds over budget and three years late. You, you, you can't run something to look good for you if it doesn't deliver mm. for London. But those are national issues, are one. Absolutely no. not. Crossrail 2 is entirely owned by the um, Transport for London. They are the lead project uh, deliverer. They are the people who are meant to get this done. When you weaken their staffing um, budget in that way, they then don't have the members of staff to look after it. That's what's happened. This is on the mayor, nobody else. Uh, what, what about housing then? No commitments then of new homes to be built as a proportion of social housing uh, in your manifesto? 
I haven't released that yet, so I'm I'm, I'm really <laughs> intrigued, intrigued that you can tell me that. But I'm looking at a, a, a website, Sean for London. Yeah, but it's not a really. What I've said is the first thing we do is do housing for London. So in the way that we have TfL for London, that, mm. that looks at transport, we need to have housing for London. It'd be a city hall back central developer with the sole goal of delivering. Uh, what that allows us to do is deliver more than we currently have been had delivered by the under the mayor. That much I can tell you. Sean, I've got to talk to you about housing. Continue that conversation. Sadiq Khan saying he is on track to deliver his target of 17,000 new affordable homes in 2019 to 2020. Where do you think he's going wrong? I think two things. His total has been lowered. He promised us 80,000 homes a year when he was campaigning. We've been nowhere near that. He then had a negotiation with the government and they gave him some dispensation lower figure and he's still at the bottom range of that. Um, my calculation says he just won't hit his own target. Let's see. I, I really hope he does mm. because we need the homes. This isn't about winning a political fight. It's about having places for people to live. The problem he's had is he hasn't gripped the market. He hasn't taken control. He hasn't used the, the 4.82 billion pounds he was given by the government. He hasn't spent it all and he hasn't taken control of some of the things that he can control. Yeah, but hang on. He managed to secure that money for City Hall. Or so he that... was given that money by the government. He didn't secure anything. If you look at the, man- the relationship he has with the government, it's actually very poor because he makes politics out of everything. They gave that money half of all affordable housing monies in the country to London. Yeah, the Conservative government didn't manage to build affordable houses anywhere else in the UK. But my focus here is London. And let's be clear, if you somewhere else in the UK, you talk about the fact that we have half of all the money. He's been the, the lowest performing mayor mm-hmm. since Ken. Ken did more and so did Boris. Mm. OK, but I, bring in David. Sorry. Yeah, just on a bit of a different uh, different subject here. Look, you know, um, we left the European Union. Obviously, in the last, mar- uh, last month, um, London didn't vote to leave the EU. But we've got these new proposals on immigration. Do you think the government's proposals are going to be good for London? I think I think ultimately they will. Here's the thing about did you vote to stay or leave? London is part of the country. The country voted to leave. We have to leave along with the rest of the country. There's another argument about who voted. More people voted to, to, to leave the European Union in London than voted for seat calm. The point is this. There's many poor communities in London that will look at these proposals and think it might be their opportunity to move forward. I think business in London is, is innovative enough and strong enough to adjust to any changes coming down the pipe. But do you think that salary cap is quite interesting, isn't it? Because of course, salaries are much higher in London. Do you think there should be a bit of a different set of rules? Because not only do we have more immigration here, but obviously people need a lot more money to live, don't they? I think we need to be careful about separating London from the rest of the country. If it's one rule for us and one rule for the country, I think politically, we could find ourselves in trouble and I wouldn't want to do that. I'm very... Um, keen to stress to people outside of London, London sees itself as part of the UK. Yes, we are the engine of the, of the economy, but we don't think we're separate and need special treatment. What we need is fair and comparable treatment so that we can continue to give the UK what it wants from a London angle. OK, I, I sort of am hearing you channeling the Conservative Party view of levelling up uh, for, for the North in this kind of conversation. What is the argument then to Londoners who see you know, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson, um, the head of the Conservative party kind of trying to bridge that gap and and provide money to the north what would be the argument for Londoners to vote for for a conservative leader here because a strong country benefits London there's no point having a great big powerful London and a weak Manchester and a weak Birmingham a strong Manchester and a strong Birmingham benefit London London needs competition in that sense and remember if you're prime minister you don't run the 
country just for the ben- financial benefit of London. You have to figure out how you f- how you spread that wealth. Mm. And one of the ways of spreading that wealth is making sure that other parts of the country can compete on their own right, in their own right, excuse me. And if you don't do that, politics then becomes the issue, not our financial strength. But does Boris Johnson really care about London? We've heard so little about it from him recently. So let's get this straight. You're talking about a man who was mayor of London and he's also a London MP. Was. I think, I think, yeah, but he's also a London MP. I don't think he has any choice but to care about London. And let's be clear, the opposition want to start an argument that says it's the country versus London. I simply don't see it like that. It's not us or them, it's us and them. And what about your position in this race? Because you're up against Sadiq Khan, the incumbent. Uh, the Lib Dems potentially could do well because of the Remain stance of many Londoners. Then you've got Rory Stewart as well. Big name recognition there. Where do you stand apart from, from those sorts of people? I think there's a couple of things. Firstly, the, the polling doesn't suggest, um, isn't laid out in the way you just said it. They are all quite a distant um, third and fourth to my position. It, But let's be clear, I'm not a lunatic. I do understand that it's an uphill battle. But Londoners need a, a, a different take. Londoners want a, a choice, and I'm providing that choice. I have a very unique thing in that I'm a born and bred Londoner. I represent the broadest set of Londoners just because of my experience. So Sadiq Khan. Well, Sadiq Khan could say that, and, and I, I don't doubt that he can. But the point is I have had a much um, tougher route through life, which, believe me, I wish it was some other way, but it's just the way it happens to be. And it means that I tend to have a slightly different take on politics to most of the other people I'm running against. Okay, our our listeners may well, though, be disappointed to hear that actually business, and when I was reading your manifesto carefully, business comes rock bottom in terms of your list of priorities. Are you actually going to fight for the City of London, which, yes, the rest of the country has to do well, but London, the City of London, financial industries create jobs jobs and massive tax revenue. I don't accept your characterization of my view of business because if you come from where I come from politically, what you see is employment. And employment is the single most important thing. I think employment is the single most important social uplift there is. And the people who provide that is the business community. They provide employment in, you know, in that direct sense and also in that taxpaying sense, how the country works. So actually, I think business is arguably one of the most important things. It's why I will be having an international, I'll have a deputy mayor for international trade and be a very broad thing. I mean, hey, one of your listeners now might actually be having that job <laughs> if, I, you know, if I'm in a position to do that. Because my point is this, we need a strong business community in London because of all the things it provides not just the money but the access to training the access to the knowledge of the world all of those things generally come to us through our our business connections and they're something I absolutely want to boost so when you look at me and you think about business there's two things I'd like to consider one I will always be on your side and try to maximize that and two if it's us versus the government you can guarantee that I will join business in dealing with the government I I spoke to someone who runs a a medium-sized business the other day and he's he, he said to me um business rates you know and I said I'll join you in that war let's do it we're just picking up on that then sean you know thinking about the city as well you know the brexit talks that we're going to go through this year sorry to go back to brexit but it's very important what sort of relationship we're going to have with the european union and boris's government boris johnson is really putting much bigger distance between us and the european union surely that's bad for london isn't it well the here thing i'd say i'm not i don't again i don't quite see that characterization exit i you're not speaking completely you know nonsense but what i would say to this boris is involved in a political conversation and negotiation and I remember when we got to this point people told him he couldn't get a a renegotiation and and he did and I see that happening now and ultimately business 
operate in a country that is based on our on our democratic views and a country has said we have to go forward and deal with this situation i know for a fact if anybody asks me what i will do i will make sure that london business in particular and i've been quoted before as saying that um the fight we are the mining village to the financial services Mm. we need that to work i make i will certainly represent what our financial services in london want to see happen hence i'm talking about a deputy mayor who will be from that sector who better take that fight on so people don't have to rely my knowledge of the situation will get someone from the city who understand these things to represent London properly. All right, Sean, thanks very much. That's Sean Bailey, the Conservative candidate for the London Mail. So you've got an election coming up in May. Let's talk about another story that is uh, being p- published by Bloomberg today. The title, They Lost the Brexit War, but UK Remainers are still fighting. We're looking at those businesses and others that want to keep Britain inside the EU single market regulations. Let's bring in Alex Morales, our UK government reporter, who was one of the writers of this story. Alex, fascinating read. A, a really good piece and one of the things it touches on of course is david Frost's stinging attack on the eu you say it'll reverberate among businesses here yeah well uh, because he, he he's sort of really spelling out very clearly that the the uk does not want to accept the eu terms that have the canada style deal that the uk wants um the uk must continue to abide by eu regulations and agree to change our own regulations when the eu changes its regulations um his speech was very much about how we we want to be a sovereign nation and part of that sovereignty involves the ability to set our own laws and and regulations for for ourselves um mm. and he was quite clear we don't we're not the uk doesn't want to backtrack on standards um it's but it's quite possible to have separate standard systems that are more or less equivalent um but the UK wants to retain that power. Mm. I, I suppose the question is, is it posturing? I mean, we were just speaking to Sean Bailey there a couple of minutes ago, who is uh, a candidate for uh, London mayor. And he was sort of implying that, that, look, this is the start of the, the negotiations, this set of trade negotiations, and that this is perhaps, uh, you know, the, the Johnson administration kind of uh, the, the toughest line that they're putting forward. Well, obviously, there's going to be a bit of posturing at the beginning of a, of a 10-month negotiation. Um, but I do think it's a red line that, that the UK is not going to sign up to anything um, which, in which it does not have the power to change uh, rules and regulations. So uh, I'm sure there will probably be some sort of arbitration system um, that, that if, the, if the EU or the UK deems one or the other have, have stopped complying with certain standards, then it goes to arbitration. But I, d- I don't think the UK is going to sign up to anything where rules are set in Europe um, and we have to abide by them. And then, Alex, you spoke to some great people in this article. One of them was a medical appliances manufacturer who said that they may have to consider not selling into the UK market and aligning with EU standards because they're so internationally recognised. And then you touch on academia as well, and you look at research projects that are going to struggle perhaps to get funding mm. after some of these avenues are closed off. Yeah, well, so, I mean, a lot of the talk about, about what businesses are concerned about is, is tariffs and quotas, but actually there's a whole degree of um, other costs associated with regulatory divergence. So if the UK has a whole set of new rules, um, companies will have to uh, adhere to those standards as well as to EU standards if they're selling into EU markets. Um, and so the, the point this, um, this man, James Greenham, who's the, who's the managing director of the company, was saying was that, well, 20% of our sales are to the UK, 80% are to the rest of the world, and only a small percentage of that is the EU. But because the EU standards have been around for so long, his compliance with those standards opens up other markets around the world. And he said it's, it's better for his business 
to just stop complying with UK standards if, if the costs of doing so are so great. Um, and so perversely, you'd have a British manufacturer that doesn't sell into its own market. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.